Hey everyone, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have an extraordinary episode for you guys today. We talk about economic inequality in soccer. It's actually such an interesting topic. We talk about what's causing it, what's causing this bubble in football to grow where teams are overspending and talk about what, what that means for the competitiveness of leagues, what it means for the, the teams themselves. We also get into solutions, whether it's the 50 plus one rule, strict FFP or potentially some hard salary caps. So stay tuned for that. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. And now let's get on to the show. Hello and welcome to a deep dive episode of The Final Third. My name is Jack. I am a Chelsea fan, Atalanta fan, Minnesota United fan, French national team fan, and Slovakia national team fan. I did that all <laughs> right. I didn't have to pause at all to remember all the teams I support. And I'm joined here with AJ. Yep, I'm AJ. I'm everybody's favorite Minnesota United, West Ham United, and United States national team fan. I'm really excited for today's episode because we have a great deep dive. Before I get to that, Jack, how are you feeling about Chelsea's 1-1 draw with Real Madrid in the UCL semifinals? That was just today at the time of recording. How are you feeling? I see you got the Chelsea flag behind you holdover yeah, yeah. from uh, this Saturday and the jersey on. So how are you feeling about that? You know, I, I feel pretty good. We probably could have taken our chances a bit more and probably been like 3-1 up, honestly. But you know what? Given that it's Real Madrid, we're missing arguably our best midfielder in Mateo Kovacic. I'll, I'll, I'll take the 1-1 draw, especially with that Christian Pulisic goal. Yeah, a great Christian Pulisic goal, becoming the first ever American man to score in the UCL semifinals. Really exciting. Could have gotten a couple assists, perhaps, if it weren't for Timo Werner hitting it to the goalkeeper right at point blank range but you know well he's hitting the target now he's he's, he's got his aim down. yeah he's got his aim down i i texted jack this earlier i was like hey he's not he's not hitting the corner flag whenever he shoots it's an improvement so and we're also good for us in the sense that we're almost done with the school year which means jack we just talked about this before we start recording we're going to be recording in person eventually how excited are you for that Oh, it's going to be great because I won't have to worry about the stupid microphone issues that I have right now that are persisting from uh, Sunday's recording session. So, yeah, yeah. Again, if my audio is bad, uh, blame it on my microphone. Yes, 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 yes. All right, let's get right into it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. You know the deal. Give us a rating, whatever. You know exactly what I'm going to say. Let's talk about today's topic, which is economic inequality within football and this is a big big topic not just because it's very pertinent given the super league situation but also because it's kind of been a staple problem with soccer with football for you know as long as the sports existed and because it's such a big topic we want to make sure that we are going in depth and we're not going too shallow with our discussion so we're really honing in on economic inequality between the different clubs smaller versus larger and kind of what we talked about with the super league the economic bubble that is football with teams spending so much with with not enough money in the soccer world to support all these big teams football has become a bubble that's going to pop and that's because of the rampant 
inequality between the different levels of soccer. There's other types of economic inequality between the male and the female game, between uh, the different leagues, but this is the thing that we wanted to really get into. And so, Jack, are you ready for this conversation? How excited are you for this? Yeah, well, I like studying economics for, or at least applied economics. So, I mean, this <laughs> is this is an interesting topic. So, I'm excited to get into this one. Yeah, Jack here is the economist between the two of us. I'm just a civil engineering student. Jack is more, can I say, economically inclined? I guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> as long as it's not like super theoretical economics and like actually has numbers, then yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Jack has Jack is struggling through his mm -hmm. economics courses right now, but if he gets anything wrong, you can fully blame it on him. So oh, there great, you go. Great. <laughs> So let's get started on this. It's going to be more of a casual conversation, but since we're five minutes in, you know, let's get right into it. I have a little you know, intro to all of this. And so football is a business. From the formation of the Premier League and the introduction of Sky Sports, TV deals, gate receipts, sponsorship revenue, they're all drivers of the global game. However, 30 plus years of commercialization has led to dreadful effects across the footballing world. On the field, richer clubs have been running the show, causing a competitive gap between the haves and have-nots in Europe's big leagues. Leicester City was the first non-big six team in 20 years to win the Premier League. This season will mark the ninth Bundesliga title Bayern Munich have won in a row. This season will also mark the first Serie A season in 10 years to not have been won by Juventus. Leagues like La Liga in Spain and Ligue 1 in France have been dominated by only a handful of teams. And smaller leagues like in Portugal, the Netherlands, Greece, and Scotland all have only two or three teams that ever win the league. And I should also add Turkey to that as well. Off the field, it's no different. Due to the way sponsorship and TV deals are laid out, the rich dominant sides can only get richer, causing a vicious cycle that has exasperated the wealth gap between teams. With fewer resources, smaller teams can either compete on the field, but also off the field in getting more fans and sponsors. And this has led to a quote, footballing bubble to form. In an attempt to further grow their business, club owners are constantly finding new ways to expand and keep up with the competition. This means increasing ticket prices, getting more and more sponsors, signing more lucrative TV deals, and of course, spending exuberant amounts on transfer fees and salaries in order to get big players and stay relevant. This level of conspicuous consumption isn't just unsustainable, it's downright harmful to the game. Which leads to our open-ended discussion for today. Why is football so economically unequal? What's wrong with it? And what can we do to stop this bubble from popping? I already covered some of those things, but you know, let's get into the bulk of the discussion. Uh, let's start with Jack. In your view, why is football so unequal? You can take it anywhere you want. Yeah, well, there's a few different things that we could talk about really with this. For, for example... The first thing that comes to mind, and you touched on this already, is TV deals. You know, in leagues like the Premier League, there's an even split of the domestic TV revenues, right? Every team, I think in 2020 or 2018, got around $32 million from those domestic TV revenues, which is a good chunk of money. However, overseas TV deals, a lot of smaller teams aren't as marketable to overseas markets. Teams like, you know, Burnley or last season Watford or even this season, like West Brom, they don't appeal as much to those who don't know those teams as like local teams. 
So because of that, there's a huge disparity made up from like, you know, your Manchester cities and Chelsea's Manchester United versus West Brom, Fulham and Sheffield United, who can barely get a chunk of that overseas revenue because of that. And there's no regulations on that in the same way there is by like these splits overall. But then you also have the marketing ideal from it and sponsorships. Teams like, you know, if, if you're a random company in the UK that's trying to get the most bang for your buck, right? You're not, odds are you're, you're not going to go and sponsor like, you know, Burnley. And you're probably going to sponsor, try and sponsor someone like Manchester City or Chelsea, like three, uh, the cell phone company in, uh, in the UK, sponsored Chelsea. There, there's no way they would have tried to get a, a sponsorship deal with like West Brom or something like that because it's not as profitable to them. And because of that, they have to settle for smaller uh, sponsorship deals, which leads to even more disparities between these clubs. And so those, those are two of like, the biggest things, but then this leads to even more effects because, you know, a lot of these teams that are competing at the highest level get rewards from UEFA and from other, uh, you know, from the FA or from the FIGC in Italy or uh, whatever uh, federation is around them for performing well and getting into like competitions like the Champions League or the Europa League. And a lot of those teams, because they don't get the money from sponsorship deals and they don't get as much from domestic TV or from, sorry, from overseas TV deals, then they don't have as much of a chance to compete for those high level places. And then they miss out on those rewards as well. So it just creates a never ending cycle with all of that. Uh, So that kind of gets those two points kind of really get at the heart of why there's such a, a, a disparity. I think that most of it has to do with advertising and TV deals because uh, especially when it comes to overseas stuff and how it just creates this terrible cycle for those teams. Yeah. It's a, it's a positive feedback loop, right? Right. Uh, Unlike a negative feedback loop where it all kind of balances out and, and you could, you could point towards MLS or any of the American sports models where the, the lower you are on the table, the higher your draft pick is going to be. So it levels out competitively in European sports. That's not the case. If you do well, you're just going to continue to do well based on your, uh, the incentives given by champions league prize money or any other incentive given by the FA. And I have actually a TV money distribution table here that shows how the TV money has been historically distributed between all the different clubs of the five big leagues in Europe. And what you'll find is, to no surprise, the English Premier League is a lot more economically equal. And that kind of reflects in how competitive the league is. You have obviously the big six, but because of how more evenly split the the revenue is, at least comparatively, it causes all the smaller teams to have the ability to challenge for a top six spot, a top seven spot, a top four spot in the case of West Ham. And then you go towards the other leagues where that's definitely not the case. Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid dominate the TV revenue share of La Liga. Cause I don't even think uh, it's, it's league wide. It might be team by team, but Barcelona gets about 11% of the share of La Liga's TV revenue compared to the lowest team, which gets about 3%. 
And the the worst of, of these leagues would have to be both League A and the Bundesliga because PSG gets 10%. And the, just the disparity between that top spot to second place is about 2%. And when you're talking about millions of dollars, that's that's pretty that's pretty lucrative. The difference, the way that a lot of this works is unlike the the EPL, which tends to keep things even other leagues, their TV deal disbursement is based on performance. So if you're doing well, if you have the money and it only gets better for your team and that makes it very hard for these small teams to compete and when you put in like the amount of money that Champions League teams get, it just it just gets out of hand how quickly, how quickly these teams can go from juggernauts to just invincible in the case of like PSG or Bayern Munich. That's probably a big reason why they're successful. Jack, something I, I want to ask you, and I don't know how much research you did in this, is moving on to away from this never-ending cycle into more of what causes these teams to become wealthy in the first place how do you see billionaire owners and especially state-owned clubs like psg and city how do you think that that's affected economic inequality within the footballing world well it definitely hasn't helped economic equality i'll say that much uh you know i i'm a chelsea fan of course and chelsea have a very wealthy owner and while that's been great for the club, it hasn't been great for the rest of the league because, you know, these owners are able to kind of just come in and for whatever reason, whether it's like a PR thing uh, or in the case of like state-owned clubs gaining some soft power, political favor, I guess you could say, to some image rescuing, I suppose you mm-hmm. could say, they're just able to dump in as much money as possible and they're able to just make it completely unfair because and while there has been some efforts to curtail it right there's been financial fair play introduced by uefa there hasn't been a ton of actual compliance to it as we've seen or even when there is like even when there's supposedly compliance as found by the court of uh arbitration for sport it doesn't really seem like it and i i think it's definitely hurt the league because you know a, a club like chelsea they were able in the middle of a pandemic to spend 220 million euros on transfers. And on the other hand, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of like the best example to that acts as a counter to it. I think Burnley is probably the best one who mm-hmm. spent almost nothing. I don't think they brought in many players, if any at all. And, you know, it, and it's because of the difference in their owners. One of them is a billionaire or uh, like oligarch in Roman Abramovich. And the other one, I don't even know his name, uh, but I know that I, I know uh, from a chart that I recently saw, he's one of the least valuable Premier League owners. And because of that, you know, uh, it creates such a huge divide between these teams and it, it hurts it significantly. I don't know why you're coming for Burnley in particular. It's uh, so sad to, to, to see them catch strays like this, but I, I, I definitely agree. And Going off that, you bring up a really good point because I, I didn't even think about state-owned clubs and why they, they get into it. But that's definitely a reason. Footballing has become such a lucrative business that for many different reasons, owners are getting into it and pouring money. In, 
in these cases with the state-owned clubs, it's all about the PR and growing Qatar's, Saudi Arabia's. Actually, I don't know if Saudi Arabia owns a club right now, but Abu Dhabi's in the, the UAE's uh, supports and their their soft power in these other nations. But also, and I think this is more of the case of Abramovich, even though you could also suggest that he's trying to do some soft power of his own uh, for his personal gain. But for these other rich owners, think FSG, think Lasers, think uh, anyone who else that owns big teams in Italy or England, it's about the investment. It's a long-term investment into these clubs because football and sports in general is so crazy because with all of the business things that go around it, it only grows. It's literally like the stock market because in the long run, it only goes up. Especially when you're a team that owns the stadium, that owns the training grounds. Real estate is such, such a big deal when it comes to these football clubs. A lot of football clubs' values comes directly from their ownership of the stadium, of the training ground, because that's real estate. They can sell that that land, they can sell that building, and it's very, very valuable. And so the way that 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 these clubs are being treated by their chairmen, by their owners, is almost like a stock, an investment. They pour money into it, and in 15, 20 years, they take money out, and the value of the club rose by 15, 20%. They sell it for 20% higher than they bought it, and they make 200, 300, $1.5 billion just by sitting on the money and pouring more money into to increase their their facilities and increase uh, the the level of players that they buy. And so because of that, it leads to economic inequality when you have these billionaires putting into the big clubs and not the smaller clubs. Because if, if you're a Burnley supporter, I'm sorry, but not to bag on you even more, but a, a large owner isn't going to look at Burnley as a long-term investment that's going to wield them, yield them millions and millions of dollars profit. I mean, obviously they have owners that are going to do that and are going to put money in, but not to the same level as say um, FSG or whoever owns Tottenham. I'm, for, I'm forgetting the, the who it is or the, the Daniel Levy. Daniel Levy. Isn't he just the chairman or is he like, I, I think, I think he, he is the, he, he's the owner of it, but I, I have an article up. I can check that just to make sure. Yeah, or or specifically Stan Kroenke. He, he we have a lot of protests. Kroenke out. They want to get the the Spotify CEO in, but you know at the same time, the Spotify CEO he's not looking at it as a way to support Arsenal. Even though that's what he's saying, it's really a long term investment. So he can put it alongside his portfolio uh, next to Spotify. Now, those are what I saw as the large reasons why we have this rampant economic inequality. A lot of it comes from the commercialization and how that's exasperated the levels between the high level teams and the low level teams. I also mentioned, like you said before, FFP, that's such a big thing. Remember, Jack, do you remember when Man City were going to miss out on the Champions League for two years in a row last season? And now they're in the semifinals. Like, if that's not an example of how FFP just messed up, I don't know what it is, yep. you know? Yeah, like, it, it's definitely a, an example of it 
not doing what it was supposed to do. Yeah. And, and because of that, because of FFP not being as stringent as it's supposed to be, we have Man City continuing their reign of terror, continuing their, their dominance over the Premier League and also potentially Europe. And that's a good way to go into the effects. The economic inequality in football has such widespread effects that I listed out, I don't even know how, this is, I have seven effects that that negatively affect football. So I, I, I don't want to, you know, say them all. So Jack, we can trade off one by one if, you, if you'd like. I don't know how many you have, but if you want to like name off one of the effects that you think comes from the economic inequality that we face here in the soccer world. Well, I think one of the big effects that came to mind was inflated transfer fees is one of the big ones because, you know, uh, with in light of Erling Holland apparently demanding, you know, 1 million euros per week as a salary, uh, maybe not transfer fees, but maybe not just transfer fees, but, you know, the salaries themselves as well. uh, The economic inequality produces such a big premium on these players coming from other supposed big clubs trying to go to other bigger big clubs and because of that you know it, it creates such such a massive increase in player salaries i think i saw a figure that you know from 2010 to 2016 player salaries the amount spent on player salaries increased by approximately 10% wow. by on average by each of these clubs which is far above the rate of inflation Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at least, at least for you know uh, England, uh, as as far as I know. So that just shows how inflated this has gotten recently, and because of that, it makes it so even less clubs can compete for those top level talents, and because of that, that means that they can compete even less for the for those positions, creating yet again the positive feedback loop feeding into it and creating this divide between big and small clubs. Yeah. I, I really love that point because it really hits on something that we've been talking about for the past three months of this podcast, and that is overspending. If, if our listeners will remember, we talked about Barcelona's billion-dollar debt and how overspending on player fees and, tra- and transfer fees and salaries and agent fees led them to this mismanagement to the point that they have a billion-dollar debt. And that's kind of an effect and a cause that I should probably mention is – this overspending because it's an effect in the sense that it just keeps on driving it. Like they're going to have to spend more and it's just going to rise and rise. We're going to hit probably a $500 million player in the, in the near future in the next 10 years or so. And it's only going to get higher and higher as these teams try to gain more money uh, within themselves. But it's also a cause in the sense that you need to spend huge money on players in order to stay relevant. And I kind of hit on this in my introduction. Not getting big players is an existential crisis for big teams because they need to stay relevant. They need to sign the likes of Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, Holland, not just in order to do well competitively, but also do well off the field. And because of that, it drives this overspending that causes a wealth gap because when you have teams that need all this money, 
they're going to get it from sponsorships. They're going to get it from TV deals. They're going to push for that. And when they have these big players, they do better. But at the same time, it puts them at an economically disadvantages uh, situation because they spent all that money. Uh, but another thing that I wanted to, to mention specifically on that overspending is that it leads clubs to be ran on an, a for-profit basis instead of I don't know, a non-profit basis that focuses more on the community and what's best in the long term. It's more short-term gain for investors because a lot of these clubs are owned primarily by investors, not exactly people who are looking out for the best interests of the club. One of the big examples I found was Manchester United's policy with profit. Jack, I don't know if you knew, knew this, but Man United need to make $65 million each year. So, so it's, it's a rolling it's a rolling 12-month window. And in that rolling 12-month window, they need to make at least $65 million worth of profit in that window. And if not, then the, 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 the lenders and the people who own all of their loans that they put into the club can recall the money that they put in. And so that wow. puts them at a very, a very precarious situation with their money. So they are very much, we have to make a profit in order to survive. Jack, do you have another effect potentially? I'm not, I'm not sure if this is more a cause or an effect, maybe it's a little of both, but it kind of goes along with this for-profit type of thing. But marketability and long-term stability of clubs, because we've seen this happen before. Like uh, as this kind of gap grows, one club I'll use as an example here: Bolton Wanderers. You know, historic club, one of the founders of the football league in the 1800s. They, they were competing in the Champions League and in Europe in like the early 2000s. But overall, they became less marketable over time because, because other names were, were popping up with bigger talents. You know, Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham kind of at the time, and Manchester City were starting to become that as well. And because of that, they started to fade more and more out of relevance. And because right. of that, eventually it got so wide, the gap between them, that they got relegated from the league. And because of that, that now they, you know, they had big players still. They had, you know, uh, they had a lot of big wages and stuff like that. They had to cut down significantly and they kept making losses because of their oversized wage bills. And because of that inequality, then they got relegated and then they couldn't, they couldn't bring in more players uh, to strengthen their squad because they already were in, going into debt because of other things. So they had to restructure several times and restructure their debt. And that led to points deductions and that led to them getting relegated. And now they're down in league two. They're challenging for promotion again this season. You know, they're, uh, they're in third, they're in the space for an automatic playoff position or automatic promotion position, but still like it, it shows just how big this effect can be of if you don't have that money or if like you're deemed not as marketable anymore because of that, uh, because uh, of all the inequality in terms of searching for sponsorships or like the biggest brand, it could lead to some clubs being ultimately destroyed. Like uh, one other one that comes to mind, Bury FC, which right. was just, which folded because it just couldn't survive anymore. 
And, you know, while, while maybe not ha- as historic as some other clubs like Bolton and stuff like that, they're, they're still, they still have history. And it just shows that this inequality can lead to those clubs just no longer existing. Yeah. Going off that, I would say this really, the big picture idea of this particular effect is that leagues lose competitiveness due to bigger teams sucking the resources out of those smaller teams. You mentioned Barry, you mentioned Bolton Wanderers. That ultimately came about because, like you said, Bolton Wanderers didn't get the same slice of pie as Manchester United did, as uh, Liverpool did. And that ultimately hurt them in the end. And we're going back to that, that uh, positive feedback loop, those big clubs can afford to do it. And by taking those resources, those, those bigger name players, those bigger name managers, they just reinforce and consolidate their financial power. And whether it's the clubs fading into obscurity or just clubs in general not being able to challenge these bigger teams, it's a huge problem. One of the examples that literally happened today when we're recording is Bayern Munich signing Julian Nagelsmann out of RB Leipzig. The Bundesliga is one of, in my mind, the most unequal leagues in the world just based on the, the power that be, which is Bayern Munich, consolidating and holding on to the power that they have because they can just take resources, take players, take coaches even from the smaller Bundesliga sides and use it to reinforce their, their power dynamic over the league at large. And that destroys the competitiveness of the league. And it hurts not only the smaller teams, but the league in general because of that. It also hurts in the case of the big six and, and the English Premier League. It takes away eyeballs from the championship or the smaller teams and puts them onto that big six. So it's not even directly players or managers that they're sucking out of, sucking out of these smaller teams, but just fans in general, which plays into our larger cause and an even larger effect that lends itself to these bigger teams just becoming more and more powerful. Something that I also want to mention, and I'm going to bring you jack into this because this this is this is a chelsea this is something about chelsea but it causes immense pressure from the ground up in teams to perform and perform at a high level hurting them in the long run so going off of my point about for profit and how it causes people to view and lead these teams in a short-term basis instead of success in the long term you also have teams who in order to support themselves financially need to continuously do well in the league in order to maintain fans need to continuously do well. One of the examples is Chelsea with the rotating door of managers. Jack, I'm sure you know how many managers Chelsea have gone through. How many have they gone through in like the last five years? I don't even know. In the last five years. You have sorry. Let's see. Sorry. You have Conte, you have Lampard, you have Tuchel, I'm not sure if he counts in this, but, uh, and then is, is, is Mourinho Mourinho, Mourinho yeah. was in there as well. That's five, uh, so yeah. I think it's, I think there's five, but I was doing some research into Chelsea and a large part of that is they need to consistently make the champions league in order to survive as a club without that, they'd have to sell so many assets in order to keep afloat 
without Roman Abramovich putting even more of his personal wealth into the club. And at some point, even that's going to dry up. So they're consistently relying on very, very high incentives in order to keep alive. Yeah. I mean, look at the, the 15, 16 season where Chelsea exactly. finished 10th uh, after winning the, the title the year before that year, like after that, they had a lot, they had a lot of players that they had to let go of for the 16, 17 season. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, John Terry, who's a club legend, he left Chelsea after that year to go to Aston Villa uh, and Oscar, uh, not Oscar, Oscar, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I pronounced it like that. He, he was a, a pretty incredible playmaker at times and on, on his day was one, of, was one of the best in the league, had to get rid of him. He got sold to China because Chelsea needed cash because they didn't have the Champions League windfall anymore. And, you know, it... <laughs> I could I could go on and on with all with all of these different scenarios. Matt uh, Matic and Mata both going to uh, to Manchester United uh, because Chelsea couldn't afford afford it anymore because mm-hmm. uh, of not making the Champions League. It, it just shows that they they need to make that or else they don't survive. Yeah, it really goes to show how much of a bubble is forming in football, not just in football at large, but even in these clubs individually. If Chelsea don't make the Champions League for, say, three seasons, that could be a serious death knell to the financials of Chelsea to the point where who knows what actually happens to that club. Barcelona need to sign players and they have signed players out of complete desperation, getting getting just honestly just terrible, terrible players. I I mentioned it before. I'm not going to go into all the players that they shouldn't have signed, but they signed those players out of desperation because they needed to maintain a foothold in La Liga, in the Champions League, in order to support themselves financially. And so they're like, okay, well, we're down 800 million right now. If we sign this player, hopefully they can get us La Liga. Hopefully they can get us Champions League and get it to that point. And obviously it didn't. And the more they spend, the closer they get to over-expanding their bubble and just popping it. Jack, what are your thoughts on that in particular? Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what happens at so many of these clubs. Like Kepa, for example, is, is a perfect example of this. He's the most expensive goalkeeper in, in the world. Like he, he was bought for, I think it was $73 million. And the reason why is because Thibaut Courtois left for Real Madrid. And Chelsea, in an act of desperation and looking at like, okay, I guess we could either start Billy Caballero as our first choice goalkeeper who was like 35 at the time, or or actually he was 37 at the time. He, he's he's pretty old, honestly. Uh, and or we could spend you know 73 million on a relatively unproven goalkeeper from Athletic Bilbao, and that's what they did because they thought that would give them a better chance of getting to the Champions League. And also, in terms of marketability, like Willy Caballero, while he's a solid keeper. He's not going to bring in as much marketability as like, mm-hmm. you know, ooh, we have the most expensive goalkeeper in the world here. Like it, there, there's a lot of, a lot of that stuff that motivated that sort of decision to take a chance on that. Because as you said, they're already millions, millions in debt, or they've already spent millions at that point. What, what more is really 73 million more mm-hmm. at, and eventually it just becomes so, like so minimal that it doesn't even matter. And that, is what creates that bubble. Yeah. And that really over 
expands into the overspending point that we, that we pointed out and how that hurts these clubs in the long run. We also look at Tottenham Hotspur holding on to players for too long because they they want to hold on to their core so much because they want to make challenges for trophies. Well, in the long run, those players end up leaving for free. Those players end up not play, uh, playing to their, their highest potential and really hurting the club in the long run. And the alternative of that was just be selling those, those players when the iron was hot and really striking then. But they didn't. And in the long run, we now look at Spurs as kind of a failed project that needs to go into a little bit of rebuilding. We see Barcelona in this huge hole that we have no idea how they're going to get out of. We see Chelsea, even though they're doing well, you have to wonder how long can they keep this up without some serious restructuring of their club's financials and how they deal with uh, transfer policies. And so we don't know what's going to happen to these clubs if they keep on digging themselves into this hole because if these clubs begin to fail and fall that hurts soccer in the long run and if you have all these clubs just begin to fail given either uh the big clubs are taking resources away from them and they die like bolton not die but fade out of relevancy or you have these big clubs failing because they just get too big to support themselves you have clubs just, just falling out of relevancy or just failing altogether left and right that would just be a terrible sight to see for any supporter. And I've, I've one final thing to mention before I get to probably the biggest effect that is most pertinent to us right now. And that is loss of community, kind of a smaller effect, more, more at home for us fans. But when you have these clubs that need to make a lot of money that need to support themselves, that need to, get money in order to buy all these players and stay competitive that means that ticket prices are going to rise and we've seen this with even mls even the u.s men's national team but especially in england especially with la liga's big three and especially in italy's Serie A, the ticket prices get exorbitant to the point where the working class gets completely priced out and so you have tourists there, you have rich families, and you have uh, friends and family of the sponsors at the stadium. And that doesn't create a very good atmosphere. That's not what the football club that they're supporting was founded on, because they are founded on the backs of the working class. And so we have the atmospheres at the Premier League, whether it's Etihad Stadium, even though nobody's even there, but even Anfield or Old Trafford or uh, White Hart Lane, they begin to falter in terms of atmosphere and it's just not the same and it hurts the quality on the field it hurts the fan experience and all that just hurts football in general and another thing i want to mention off that is florentino perez said that 16 to 24 year olds don't like soccer anymore uh jack tweeted about this of course it's not true a ton of them do but the problem here is is that due to clubs needing to support themselves financially, they sign TV deals as leagues to the highest bidder. And those highest bidders make sure that it's behind a paywall, whether it's Peacock here or you know, I don't know, BT Sports in the UK, Sky Sports in the UK as well. Those require subscriptions. It's a subscription model. And so when you have pl players, uh, 
playing their best football behind these play walls. And you have fans who make, I don't know, if you're a college student, I'm making negative money right now because of student loans. But yeah, I can't afford to spend all this money. I pay for ESPN Plus and Paramount Plus. And Peacock, I don't buy. And I just find whatever possible way, hopefully it's on, on NBCSN or whatever, in order to watch these games. The way that this wealth gap has created lower access for fans is something that's very gross to see and in all has hurt football in general. Jack, how how have you seen this loss of community as supporting a big club, but also being a relatively newer fan in the grand scheme of things? Is this something that bothers you? Well, I, I think I think it. It, it does bother me because even though I might not be able to like compare like two different, like really major times in, in uh, Chelsea's history from experience to that loss of community, I, I can see it in like what some longer term fans have said, it, have said about it and how like, you know, uh, the area around the stadium used to be like a, a lot uh, you know, it, it used to be a lot more open and now it feels like a lot more commercialized and all of that. It does, it doesn't feel as like as big of a space to like gather and everything like that. And, you know, I, I, I guess I, I don't feel it as much just because of my perspective as a newer fan, but from what I've heard from, you know, longer term fans, it seems like it, it has been happening for a little bit. And it, it's something that people really, are not very happy with because which is fair enough because you know it's not it's not great for for these clubs to stray away from that kind of vision and what made people really fall in love with them yeah all right well i have one last effect to bring up before we get to potential solutions and that is over expansion and we're talking about the super league super league is a symptom of over expansion when you have this economic inequality and you have the haves and the have-nots, the really, really rich and the, the, the middling teams that don't have the same finances, those really rich teams are competing with each other. They need more players. They need higher quality players. And so they keep on spending. Well, they need to get money from somewhere. And just the TV deals and just the sponsorship sometimes just isn't enough to maintain their collective uh, power over the league. And so teams are trying to grow, find new markets, take over local soccer ecosystems with academies across the world, offices across the world. A lot of teams, including Chelsea and Bayern Munich and uh, Juventus and Barcelona, they have offices in America. They have academies in America. They have offices in China, in India, in, in Japan, wherever they can get fans, Africa even. Whatever gets them the money that they need to sustain themselves, they'll do it. They'll go there. And Jack, I have a question for you. Have you ever heard of the Marvel villain Galactus? I promise. I promise. This is uh, this relates. Yes, I, 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 I'm, I'm a big fan of Marvel, so of course I've heard of Galactus. Yeah, Galactus. For those of you who don't know, honestly, one of my favorite Marvel villains. I was a big fan of the Silver Surfer cartoon and the comics uh, okay. growing up. Yeah. So Galactus is definitely one of my favorite villains. For those of you who don't know, Galactus is this giant uh, 
spaceman, I suppose. He's, he's this uh, space being who goes around the galaxy, goes around the universe in this giant, giant spaceship. He's like, he's like five miles tall. He's a huge dude. And he goes to multiple planets and he eats the planet. He sucks the resources out of the planet in order to sustain himself. And do in doing so, he destroys the planet that he he consumes. But he's always hungry. Even if he takes out on the biggest planet, the, the planet with the most amount of resources, he's still hungry and he goes to the next one. That's the same way that these clubs are offering. They're like Galactus from Marvel. Football owners are literally like that. They're pushing leagues to give them more money from TV deals. They're starting super leagues to gain more money because they can't sustain themselves right now. They're like Galactus. They're always hungry. They're expanding to Africa and China to get more money. And when that doesn't work anymore, when whatever they're working on doesn't work anymore, they move on to the next thing that'll get them money. The fact that the Champions League formats was slated to give them so much more money because they're expanding from uh, six group stage games to 10, which is way more gate receipts. They, that's still not enough to sustain themselves. So they're going to keep on going. They're going to keep on trying to find the next big thing. That's why the Super League was the way it was. It's a way to make sure that these teams can get money because when you're in that league and you can't get relegated, you have finally a sustainable source of money that it, with, the, with the cost being competitive integrity gets you the money to finally sustain yourself. That might be the planet that Galactus was always looking for to make sure that he wasn't hungry. But until then, they're just going to keep on growing. One of the effects is La Liga trying to play games in America, in Miami. They're doing that because, not because they think it's going to be cool and they just want to go to vacation on Miami, even though it's beautiful there. They see it as an opportunity to get more money in order to sustain themselves because they just can't do it in their, the status quo right now. And what that leads to is what, what eventually could end Galactus is running out of planets. And these team owners are quickly, quickly running out of planets to consume. And eventually just like all the planets that they killed before, they're going to die as well. That's a very dark note to end the effects section on. Jack, do you have any more effects to bring up before we get to some solutions that could hopefully stop all these terrible things, including these clubs dying and these owners running out of money from happening? No, I think we really covered uh, all, of the, all of the big effects, honestly. Like, I, I, I don't have any other effects to add. Okay, well, let's go on to the solutions. Uh, we're doing pretty well on time. I'm pretty happy about that. So let's go on to a couple of the solutions that we came up with. Number one, kind of a joke, but Jack, do you think the Super League is a solution? Because it, it, it makes leagues more competitive because those big, league, those big clubs are going to be kicked out and the big clubs get what they want. They get to go to a, a league that, that gets them the money that they need to sustain themselves. Jack, was the European Super League actually a good idea? No, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, no, uh, and there's a few reasons why. Like you said, with your Galactus metaphor, there, uh, you know, as soon as that happens, the top of the like, if the Super League was happening, and those like say 20 or 15, 20 clubs broke away from their domestic leagues, eventually 
they'd feel like they were getting cheated out of revenue. And then the top half of those clubs would break off to, to form the super duper league or whatever. And then <laughs> after that, the, the rest the top half of those clubs are going to split off to form like the, the ultra super duper league or something like yeah. that, whatever. And it's just going to keep going until there's just nothing left to compete until it's just two teams playing out a final or something every yeah. single week. <laughs> Eventually like, it's like, it's like the Harlem Globetrotters touring the yeah, world. Exactly. It's Barcelona versus Real Madrid. It's El Clasico every single week. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing, like eventually that's not, even that won't be enough. And then what do you do? You don't do You can't do anything. So like, uh, it's just a slippery slope and it's just going to keep it getting worse and worse and worse for those for those clubs and it's going to exacerbate inequality between these other teams because where does all the sponsorship money go it follows super the, league, the yeah yeah it follows the super league or whatever the next step beyond that is super and duper like, duper league yeah exactly it it just keeps following that and then all those other teams fall behind and that and that's exactly what would, what would happen it would just keep happening over and over again more inequality would exist and then there's just no point to it that then it becomes nothing and you're just you're like you get to the top teams spending like billions of dollars and then the rest of them are like i've got a penny man what what what, what do you mean spend yeah. money i have one penny what what am i going to do with this like it that that's that's exaggerated but you you get the point it, it's it's just a massive financial gap that just gets worse and worse yeah obviously that's not a perfect solution. So Jack, what is one of the solutions that you think we could work on either as us fans or uh, administrators of the FA or whoever? What can they do specifically in order to help alleviate the inequality that we see? Well, I'm, I'm going to start with like two, two different ones that came to okay. my mind right away. First is a transfer cap. I, I know like it sounds weird coming from a Chelsea fan, to say limit transfer spending but honestly it, it should happen like you you shouldn't have barcelona going out and spending like 100 million euros every single window on just players that from the most part are just going to sit on the bench it doesn't make any sense and because of that and because there's clubs that are able to offer more and more money that's how you keep getting these inflating transfer costs and how you're going to keep seeing even higher and higher transfers coming in. And then because of that, you're going to get even more inequality. So I think that you need to cap the amount that clubs can spend within a given transfer window, force them to actually do smart business and make better business decisions and not be thinking and, and like, you know, not be like, Oh, we can go into debt because this player will help us do this. Like force them to actually be smart with their money. And it can also stop, all of the different they all of the different effects with you know players demanding more and more money uh and that that that's one of the first things i think a transfer cap would be fantastic and could really help the second thing is you know the premier league has this sort of test for owners not test or exam i'm trying to think of the best way, way to do it i guess sort of like an application interview and where, where they kind of examine the owners and see, you know, what's your purpose for doing this, for, for buying this club, or what, what, what are your ultimate goals with this? There's got to be a reevaluation of that because when you're allowing, like, a, you know, people who are literally just in it to make a profit, 
then you get even more of these problems. You know, it's how you get more uh, more Stan Kroenkes, how you get more Joel Glazers, and how you get more uh, you get more of those types of owners who are going to do that not because they love the club or they love the sport, but because they just want to make find like an easy way to make a profit. And so I think the Premier League should and other leagues should reevaluate those kinds of things if they have them and be more strict in thinking about, you know, should we actually let this person come in and own this team or will that be bad for the soccer ecosystem in this league? It, it sounds like a lot of oversight and, yeah. you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure there might be like one billionaire who listens to this shaking their fist in the air right now. Like, ah, but no, I, I think it's a necessity that need that needs to happen. You, you've got to be more uh, strict in filtering out these bad buyers. Okay. Okay. Uh, number one, is this transfer cap also a salary cap? Because, you know, there are free transfers. So what, what happens when, uh, a club like Barcelona, because you know not all of their problems come from transfers, but also salaries. So, what 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 do you deal with that? How how do you deal with that? I suppose. Well, I I think yeah, if you're going to do a transfer cap, it has to come with a salary cap at the same time because you can't do one or the other because then clubs then clubs will just spend more on the other thing. It's it's a classic example of like a you know uh, reducing the supply of one thing means that you're going to increase your your demand of the other or whatever like that i i'm not sure if the economics of that actually work out but like you know you're the economics student here so yeah i know it if one if one good is eventually limited then you're like of good a is limited then you're going to turn to good b and increase your spending on that that's that's typically what would happen uh supply and demand wasn't the best model to use for that explanation but so (laughs) you If like, uh, you know, if you have just a salary cap, then, you know, uh, clubs are going to say, okay, well, so we have to spend less on salaries. So that means we bring all that money to over to transfers and just buy a ton of like players who don't demand a ton of money and just develop them, which could be good, but you get the same problems with badly run clubs. But then if you do the opposite and you're like, oh, we're just going to cap transfers, then you just say, hey, We'll just fight. Wait. We'll just wait for these uh, these uh, players to come in on a free, and then pay them ridiculous amounts of money. So we get them. It leads to the same thing. So you need to have both of them at the same time. Otherwise, this doesn't really work. Yes. Yeah, so we go full on MLS. We have the DP rule because designated players they account for both salary and transfers. So yeah, I I don't think maybe going as far as like the DP rule is like what, what I mean, but like having get, I think we should put Tam and Gam in, into no, the, no. the European. <laughs> I'm uh, gonna disagree with you. On that, okay, <laughs> all right. Well, second follow up question: You have so many, so many different players in this. Uh, players, not as in like actual players, but different like organizations to think about. Because let's say the Premier League has a transfer slash salary cap. Well, if La Liga doesn't, they're going to spend all that money and buy all those players. Offer, say, they can offer uh, uh, Harry Kane X amount of money more than Tottenham just because Tottenham are under a salary cap. And so you need to have participation with the clubs, the players themselves, the FAs, the the Continental uh, 
Continental Oversight Committee. That's a, a committee from UEFA and also FIFA. You have to get FIFA on board as well. Not only that, but you have to have the European or the American Antitrust Board or whatever, the, the Council of Arbitration of Sport. They need to be involved too. How do you make that happen? Because I also have the salary cap for the exact same reasons as a solution. But how do you get all of those different organizations to all agree that a salary cap is needed? Yeah, well, that that's tough because, uh, you know, you, you can you can barely get like anyone to agree on anything in soccer. You, you like even even like uh, the most blatant of bad decisions, like the, the straight red card for Balbuena. Uh, in the West Ham versus uh-huh. Chelsea game, I even saw people say, no, that's definitely a red. You can't get everyone to agree on everything, which is unfortunate. But what you can do is try and get the support of those bigger team, of, of like those bigger leagues to get in to to get in on this. Because, you know, no matter what, salary cap or not, these leagues like the Premier League, La Liga, um, the Bundesliga, maybe less so, Serie A, Ligon, they're attractive prospects for up-and-coming players. They want to play in those places. So if you can get, like, you know, even just, like, uh, those top five to agree on it somehow, then that could be enough. But how do you get them to do it? That, that's, that's the toughest part, because I'm not really sure how you can get every single player agreeing to this sort of thing because you know it it would make a lot of players have to change their lifestyles too because a lot of them like i mean not not all of them are like you know spending millions of dollars per week or whatever or spending thousands of dollars per week but a, a lot of them i i'd imagine some of them would just say no i don't want to take a, a salary cut but that's why it's so important that all of them co- cooperate on this mm-hmm. and whether that's through like UEFA doing this, or maybe even like legislation by, by like, uh, um, I'm not sure how much power the EU has to regulate this. I suppose they can regulate commerce between uh, the different EU countries, but that doesn't help as much. But then if the, the EU does up. that, then China and Saudi Arabia are going to look at this exactly. and, uh, and America as well and be like, oh, we could, we can make our leagues more powerful. It literally, like you need the entire world uh-huh. to be. Exactly. That's the tough part. Yeah. All right, so that's salary caps, transfer caps. I'm also in favor of salary caps and transfer caps, but again, with that, there's a lot of barriers in order to make that happen. Something that we could do that's more in line with something that could happen in the next couple of years is just stricter FFP. We put we can put hard caps on how much clubs can overextend their finances, so they can still spend a good amount, but it can't be more than what they're currently making. It can't be you know so exuberant that it's obvious that, you know, like Man City, they got some support from Qatar or whatever. Uh, it, 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 keeps, it keeps the clubs in check. And if we can severely punish them for breaching the terms, it would make FFP a lot more viable. And people complain about the financial aspects of MLS, yet it's the one of the things that keeps the league competitive. It keeps the quality down, admittedly, but we need to strike a balance between full-on single entity control, like full-on salary cap, transfer cap, DP rules, TAM and GAM, and the Lord of the Flies free-for-all that we have right now. Florentino Perez, when suggesting the Super League, said, quote, if you want a stable competition, you need strict FFP. 
right now we can't compete with stained state owned clubs. And it, it, it's right. He's it, it's completely true. You need to have strict FFP. If you want all the clubs to be able to compete with each other on a leveler playing field. And so by doing this, we can make sure that clubs don't overspend past their profit. Don't go too far into the red. Don't go too far with their transfer fees, with their, with their salaries and make them more economically viable and also make the leagues in some way a little bit more competitive. Jack, do you have any other solutions before I rattle some off? Mm, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of any, but I mean, I, it, it might sound kind of ridiculous, but also something to do with like uh, sponsorships as well, because, you know, a yeah. lot of the reason why this inequality exists is because of the sponsorships that exist, but there's not really a good way to like regulate that and say like, oh, you can only, I, I guess you could say you can only sponsor like one club or something like that, because there are some brands that sponsor several different teams and stuff like that. I, I can't think of too many. I know that three uh, sponsors Chelsea and the Irish national team, mm -hmm. for example. That That's the only one that comes straight to mind. So you could say, you know what, like uh, you're only allowed to have like one sponsor or something like that. But then again, that ends up just hurting the smaller teams more. So it doesn't really make sense. And there's not really a good way to police that or like I or really make sure it works out in such a way that it doesn't only that it doesn't disproportionately hurt smaller teams. Yeah, well, one way I think you could go about it, by the way, I can think of another one. Uh, this little team called Red Bull. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Yeah, they they sponsor a multiplicity what, of What teams. do you mean? It's Rosin Ball in sport, not Red Bull. Yeah. Come well, on. to be fair, they, they're still sponsored by Red Bull, I think, like on their jersey. Yeah, I, I, I think, I, I believe they are, yeah. Ah, whatever. But one of the things that you could do in terms of TV and sponsorship is make the equitable TV deals possible. We, we see this with the English Premier League. They have a, a better share. Make Liga, make La Liga, make the Bundesliga more equitable so that the, the first place team doesn't get all the money and you have the likes of Werder Bremen or uh, I don't even know, a small team in La Liga, uh, Alves, whatever. I don't know. Alves, yeah. Um, Hetafe would be one potentially. Although sure. they, they made it into the Europa League last yeah. year. LJ. For example, yeah. yeah. Spezia in Italy, whatever. Make sure that they have the financial backing from the league itself through the TV deals in order to support themselves. Because right now, uh, I I'm getting a lot of these stats from Tutel Rahman. The difference between the top spending team and the lowest spending team by league, in the Bundesliga, it's 23 times. Bayern Munich is spending 23 times as much as the lowest ranked uh, spending team. And that, that's obviously a problem with the English Premier League. It's, it's way better. It's nine times. Uh, Liga, it's 18 times. Liga, it's 21 times. So this TV deal can help alleviate that. Uh, another thing that I'd like to mention would be the 50 plus one rule. We talked about this in the Super League. More power to fans to control spending and administrative costs. That's obviously that one, yeah. Yeah, that's obviously good. I will say though, the Bundesliga is right now the only prominent league with 50 plus one. It's also one of the most in uh, economic inequality rid riddled league, I suppose you could say it. So it's not the most perfect thing, but at the same time, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund 
RB Leipzig, they're all teams that can support themselves pretty well financially. And that's in due part to 50 plus one. Another one that I have invest in lower leagues slash smaller countries. This is not as so much like what clubs should do, but rather what UEFA and FIFA should do. Some countries just don't have the capital or infrastructure to become powerhouses. So I'm looking at the lower leagues of the the EFL, uh, smaller countries in Eastern Europe and the Caribbean. They need some more investment through football programs, football charities that FIFA and UEFA put on in order to support themselves better. CONCACAF is doing that in the Caribbean and Central America. And it's helped to make the minnows a little bit more powerful with the likes of Jamaica getting better, Curacao getting better, uh, even though that's due largely in part to the Dutch nationals that joined them. Uh, Jack, do you have any uh, problems with that other than the neo-colonialism that comes with uh, those improvements? Well, I, I was going to mention that. that. That is a bit of an issue that, that comes up. But also, you know, a lot of the times when these sort of things are promised to help those lower teams, like one of the most prominent ones, we talked about this in, a, in an episode when I did the Jack and Time segment about uh, FIFA and corruption. You know, uh, Jack Warner, who was the president of, right. of CONCACAF, he, he promised like millions of dollars going to uh, Trinidad and Tobago or like South Africa was supposed to give like tons of money to Trinidad and Tobago to help develop their local leagues and like help them become like much more sustainable. But instead, you know, he just, he just uh, embezzled it all. He just took it all for himself. He, uh, and, uh, and that's one of the things that you have to watch out for because even, even if like you have these investments going on, you have to watch out because those kinds of people are out there who are going to still do whatever they can to extract more profit, to extract more money from the from these uh, from these teams and from these leagues, and that and that's going to happen. And so you you've got to watch out for that. And I, I think I, I'm not saying that investing in lower leagues is a bad idea. I think it's a good idea to still do it, but it's not without its risks. Mm -hmm. And being aware of that is going to be crucial to make sure we don't have more mistakes like that, where we uh, send in a ton of money to go help out these places. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, wait, where did it go? Yeah, like there, there's got to be more accountability in those sorts of systems in order for that to work out. I agree. I agree. And that's why I it's it's not one of my my main solutions the the other uh three are definitely more in line with what i want to do uh but going off that one of my smaller solutions also end bribes to uefa and fifa yeah. that's a, it's a it's a very big picture one and not something that's necessarily going to a happen or b guarantee a change is going to happen but those are like all the solutions i came up with short of completely dismantling our economic systems as they currently stand but before we we uh, end off this episode, in your mind, what what are the solutions that you would want to see most implemented? For me, it would probably be the 50 plus one rule across all leagues. I've been tweeting about it. I think I, I'd like to hope MLS eventually gets that spot as well. Uh, I'd like to see, if not salary caps or transfer caps, definitely stricter FFP 
And I'd want to see more equitable TV deals because that's a big part of why the likes of MLS and even the Premier League do so well. Yeah, well, I think the 50 plus one rule is a big one that could really help ensure that these clubs aren't ruled entirely by trying to make profit, but also getting back to that commu- those community roots that we talked about that are that are important to the passion for the game and what and we can see that with like the response to the super league and i also think you know transfer caps and salary caps could be a big a, a big game changer uh, as well how it how it gets implemented i have no idea because it yeah. requires so much universal agreement that it seems near impossible for it to really be be uh, adopted but it could if there was enough of a push and enough agreement somehow uh but overall i think the 50 plus one rule has to be the most promising one uh, of all of these because there's precedent for it working but the results on the inequality like affecting inequality not really sure if it if uh if there's enough results to prove that it actually does affect it because as you said the bundesliga super unequal like i think what what is it the wage bill in for uh from the top versus bottom team is like 35 times 23 uh, still high 23 it's still high uh yeah but regard like at, at that point 23 times and 35 times it's still a large number yeah. regardless and uh you know you, you have to you have to be cautious of that kind of stuff to to really make sure this works and you know i think that there's going to have to be some legislation produced or about this you know, making sure that there's got to be something to do. There, there has to be something. Maybe it's antitrust legislation. Maybe it's antitrust court rulings or something. But there has to be something done at like a governmental level, I believe, as well. Because, you know, UEFA, FIFA, they're just as profit-driven as these big clubs. Yeah. So I think not, that's not to say the government isn't necessarily driven by, by, uh, by profit at times as well. But... I, I'd like to think, as an optimistic political science person, that there is some way of representing the best interest for the public in there. So I, I think that there should be some sort of legislation as well. Yeah, I agree. And that is the perfect note to end off on. Jack, thank you again for co-hosting this deep dive. I always, I always really like uh, this format of deep dive where it's just kind of a long form discussion that, that we yeah. kind of just ramble on for a little bit, but there's still, there's still sections that we, we try to hit. I, I think this is definitely the format going forward for the deep dives. Yeah. Do you have Bring anything to, to our say? Debate roots, right? Yeah, basically, except instead of having like what, five, seven minutes for our yep. speeches, we have, uh, well, we still have like, hour. yeah, I, I was going to say like, we still have like five minutes, like per our, like our monologues, but at, at the same time, yeah, yeah it's an hour. Do you have anything else to say to our listeners? Uh, well, of course, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show and Instagram, Final Third Show there as well. Uh, we really appreciate getting a bunch of interaction with people on there, uh, whether that's through polls, through memes, uh, through just observations about the sport itself. We love getting interaction with people, hearing other people's takes and uh getting to you know we kind of utilize that stuff 
to prepare for episodes. So, yeah. uh, you know, if, if you start up an interesting combination or conversation, not combination, uh, <laughs> on, on Twitter with us, then who knows, maybe you'll inspire the next deep dive episode. So, uh, make sure to follow us on there. We just, uh, surpassed 90 followers on there, I believe. Yes. And, uh, also thank you for helping us hit over 800 downloads. That's awesome. Uh, so we, we just keep on growing and growing and we're super happy to, to, uh, you know, have all this support. Yeah. Yeah. It, like to just reiterate, Jack said, if you want, if you like this show and you're not following us on Twitter and you want to be more involved in the show and potentially suggest a topic or at least answer one of our polls for a suggested topic, then you should definitely follow us on Twitter at final third show. Also, one of the most important things you could do is leave a rating on Apple podcasts or Spotify. Not, you can't do it on Spotify, but on podcast addicts, follow us wherever you listen to us. That could be Spotify. Tell a friend directly that you like the show and you think they would like it. Tell your dad even, cause that always helps. Uh, and with that, that's the end of the final third deep dive for today. Uh, catch us next Monday for our news and predictions show and see us next week same time same place for the deep dive episode next week see ya bye for now